It's really a privilege and a joy to be here with you guys today. Um, I get that privilege of going to all four of our sites. You know, Trinity's a church with, with uh, four different places where worship is happening this morning, four different sites, and, uh, and I get to go to all of them, and it's just a joy and a privilege, and it's really fun for me to be here with you guys today. Um, we are in this series that we are calling Follow, and uh, um, it comes from this verse, really, um, and, and we referred to this before, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Jesus spoke those words to his disciples right before he ascended into heaven. And, uh, and there's a couple interesting things in there just want to make sure you're thinking about. First of all, notice that there are a lot of churches that don't take this verse seriously at all. Honestly, there are a lot of churches that are more worried about themselves and uh, taking care of themselves and, and focusing on themselves. And Jesus here gives us a vision of church that's very different than that, right? He says it's to be focused on others and, and in two ways. And there are some churches that take the first part of that fairly seriously, that idea of reaching new people with the love of Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, I'm proud of the fact that that's something we take seriously as a church. In fact, this year, among our four campuses, we're doing, we've done more baptisms already now, and we're not done with the year yet. We've done way more baptisms than we've ever done as a congregation before in a year. So praise God for that. New people are coming to know and understand God's love uh, through the ministry. But honestly, the number of churches that take the second part of this statement seriously are even smaller than that. There just aren't a lot of churches that make sure that once someone comes to know Jesus, that then they're working to help them learn everything that Jesus commanded so that we can obey everything that Jesus commanded. In other words, so that they can actually live their lives differently. That's why our mission here at Trinity is to help people look, live, and love more like Jesus because we want to help people live like Jesus did. And the reason we want to do that is because it's the best way to live. It's the best way to experience life. And another time, Jesus said this in John 10, 10. He said, I've come that they may have life and have that life abundantly. And the way we have that abundant life is by living life the way God planned it to work. And that's why learning to, to look, live, and love more like Jesus is so important. That's why uh, teaching uh, everything that Jesus commanded to be obeyed and lived out in our lives is so crucial. And we're serious about that as a church. Now, one of the things we've been looking at in this series is this diagram. Because it, it kind of helps us understand the way Jesus raised up disciples and what he's calling us to do it too. And we've looked at that idea that we want to have lots of things like like family dances, right? To help people get connected with God's family and get to know God's family and get to be a part of it. And then we learned that one of the things that Jesus did after he attracted crowds of people is he challenged them. He says, here's what it means to be a disciple and count the cost of that, understand that. And then he, he challenged them to commit their lives to following him. And, and we've talked about that once you've committed your life to following Jesus, being together with other believers in these things that we call small groups it is a way to, in community, encourage one another. Because if we're really going to live and love more like Jesus, you've got to be connected with his family. 
We say it this way here at Trinity, you can't grow spiritually unless you're connected relationally. And so those relationships that we develop as a part of God's family are so important and crucial. And, and we've also learned, we just talked about this in this, the last week, this idea that we can't just focus on our own spiritual growth. We need to help others focus on their growth too. And God's will for all of us is that we would, we would be helping at least one other person be a disciple. Now, uh, there's no fancy term in the Bible for that, so we're just calling people disciplers that do that, right? If you are willing to help one other person be a disciple, one other person be more like Jesus, then, then, then that's where you are. But notice there's still two blank places. And that's what I want to talk with you about this morning. We're going to fill in those last two this morning. We're going to talk about what it means to actually be a leader in God's church. But i got a question for you. When I, when I say a leader... What, what really is leadership? Or maybe, maybe a better way to ask that question here this morning is, is there something that is different about what it means to be a Christian leader than what it means to be just a leader in the world around us? In other words, when, when you, there's, there's lots of leadership books you can read and you can go to lots of leadership conferences. My question for you this morning is, is there something different about being a Christian leader? And of course, as you can imagine, I think there is. I think God's word teaches that there is. And, and in fact, the story that we heard this morning about Jesus and his disciples helps us get our brain around what's different about being a Christian leader. So I'm going to spend the rest of my time doing two things with you. I'm going to talk with you a little bit about that. What's different about leadership when you're part of God's family? And then second of all, I want to talk a little bit about what does that mean for us? about how we treat our leaders, how we deal with our leaders, okay? So we're going to look at that together. So we get this story from Mark. It says this, and I'm actually going to go a few verses before the verses that we read to set it up a little bit, okay? Because it's really important that you understand the context. It says this, six days, after, six days later after the story that had just come before this in, in Mark chapter 8, uh, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, those are three of the 12 disciples. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. We call this story the transfiguration. That's a big word, right? But literally, it just means it's talking about this idea that Jesus was transfigured or transformed before them. In other words, they got to see a little glimpse of Jesus as God. Remember, we, we teach, we believe, God's word confesses that Jesus was fully human, but he never stopped being God. He was both. And, and these three of the 12 disciples get a chance to see Jesus that way. Now, here's the interesting point of this story. Notice Jesus didn't take all 12 of them. He just took three of them. Now, why did he do that? Well, Jesus had called those 12 disciples, but there were three of them, and it's not just on this occasion. There's a, there's a couple of other occasions as well during the three years that Jesus was in ministry with those 12 where he called out three of that 12 for special leadership. And they're Peter, James, and John. Now, uh, they were all fishermen. They had all come from the Galilee area. Peter, and these are actual photographs of them, by the way. No, they're not. <laughs> 
they didn't have cameras then, obviously. So, but uh, but but I, I I do think these are kind of pretty good pictures. You know, they kind of help us get our brains around what they might have looked like a little, right? Peter Peter was the oldest of them, and Peter was certainly the senior of the disciples. After Jesus rises to heaven, uh, uh, Peter becomes kind of the the leader of the whole group. Kind of t- steps into that role that Jesus was, and and in fact, remember on Pentecost. Um, tongues of fire appear on the disciples. They go out and preach. Do you remember who preached the big sermon to everybody on Pentecost? It was Peter. Uh, Peter, by the way, we're told in church history, lived out his, the rest of his life leading in the church. And eventually, he was crucified for it. He was killed just the way Jesus was, with one distinction. When they went in Rome, he was actually in Rome when this happened, when they went to crucify Jesus, church tradition tells us, he said, I don't want to die the same way Jesus did. Crucify me upside down. Because he didn't want to die the same exact death that Jesus had died. He didn't feel that he was worthy of that. James and John were two other leaders in the early church after Jesus ascends into heaven. James, uh, the one in the middle, was the older of the two brothers. He actually preached in Judea and around Jerusalem. And he's the first one of the 12 disciples that gave their life for what they were doing. He was beheaded, we're told, in Jerusalem in 44 AD. He was beheaded because he was preaching the good news about Jesus, and that was not something the religious leaders of the day wanted him to do. John, however, is the only one of the 12 disciples that wasn't killed for his faith. He died a a death of natural causes. He's the only one of the 12 that did, and he was, we think, over 100 years old when that happened, which 100 years old is old today. It was especially old back then. God kept him alive for a long time, and he was a prominent leader in the early church in places like Ephesus. For a while, the Romans actually exiled him onto an island in Patmos, and that's when he got this vision from God that is what we call the book of Revelation in the Bible. John wrote a number of letters while he was in exile also, and and those letters are in the Bible too, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And finally, near the end of his life, John was encouraged to write his own gospel, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke had written Gospels, but, but John's Gospel comes later as he looks back later in his life on everything that Jesus did. And a lot of the stories in John we don't have in the other Gospels. And, and so we're really fortunate and blessed that John led in that way by writing that. So these three were called out by Jesus as special leaders. And again, I want to think about why. What makes Christian leadership different? Well, let's talk about a few things. In the world around us, leadership is all about power and control, isn't it? It's who's in charge. Um, I don't know if you watched any of the election coverage the other night. Um, I'm not a big fan of politics, but I love election night. Because I, I am a big fan of public speaking and communication. And, uh, and so I'm always fascinated to watch like the victory speeches or the concession speeches and watch what the news commentators are saying about how people ran their campaigns. I think that's all fascinating. And, uh, and so I'm not making any political comments this morning, right? Whichever side of the aisle you're on on that, I'm not going to get into that. But one person that really kind of amazed me and impressed me that night was Susanna Mendoza. I don't know if any of you saw. She gave kind of an opening speech before Governor, our new Governor-elect Pritzker came out to, to make his victory speech. She was really, she's a dynamic public speaker. But there was one moment that really was, she had her husband up there with her son, and talked about them, and then there was this older woman over here, and she turned around, and she goes, that's my mom. Any of you, did any of you see that? 
Okay, so she goes, so this is my mom, and then this is what she said. She goes, she's the only person that can tell me what to do. And then she said, just to make sure everybody got it, she goes, I'm serious. No one tells me what to do but her. Now, I think there was a political message in all of that, you know, because I think she's setting herself up to run for a higher office than state controller at some point. But that's really what leadership in the world around us is all about, isn't it? No one can tell me what to do because I'm in charge, right? That's the idea. In fact, I think there are some senior pastors that think that way. Well, I'm senior pastor. Nobody can tell me what to do now, right? It's not true. But anyway, what about for Christians? Is that what leadership is really all about? And I would argue no. In fact, This story that we just saw, Jesus teaches us that Christian leadership is not about power and control. Christian leadership is about service. Notice, those three disciples, Peter, James, and John, have gone with Jesus up on this mountain for this transfiguration. And then they come back down, and then we're told they were traveling somewhere. And when they get there, Jesus says to the disciples, hey, what were you guys talking about on the way here? And what does it say they were talking about? Well, they didn't want to answer because they had been arguing with each other about which one of the disciples were the greatest. So picture what happened here. Peter, James, and John go up on the mountain with Jesus. The other nine guys are sitting around going, well, what are we, chopped liver? How come we didn't get to go with Jesus? How come we didn't pick us to go with him? And then they come back, and you imagine Peter, James, and John are like, you guys would not believe what we saw. We saw Jesus, and he was like, he was like glowing bright white, and his clothes looked like he used Clorox on him, and it was unbelievable. And instead of being excited, the rest of the disciples are, oh, don't you think you're special? And so they're having this argument on the road about who's in, con- who's in control, who's in charge, who's the leader. But here's what Jesus had to say. So he sits the disciples down, and he calls them over to him, and he says, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. See, Jesus teaches us that leadership in God's church, leadership in the family of God is not about being in control. It's about serving. It's about putting the needs of others ahead of the needs of yourself. It's about thinking about what's going to be best for everyone, not just for you. Christian leadership is first and foremost about service. And Jesus demonstrated this. Remember, right before he was arrested, this is just a few weeks after the story we just heard, it's time to celebrate the Passover meal together, and there's no servant there to wash everybody's feet. See, they walked around with sandals, and it was dirty, and their feet were gross, and they didn't sit at a table with their feet discreetly tucked under the table. They laid down at the table, and their feet were in somebody else's face. So getting your feet washed before the meal was really important, but there was no servant there to do it. So you remember what Jesus did? He grabs a towel. And even though, think about this, later that night, He's going to be arrested. The next day, he's going to be beaten, and he's going to be crucified for our sins, for the disciples' sins, for the sins of the whole world. He's going to give his life for us. If there was ever a time when you would think Jesus would go, hey, look, I'm going to have a rough day tomorrow. You guys find somebody else to wash feet. It's not what he did. He grabbed the towel, and he washed the disciples' feet, and then he said, if I, your Lord and Master, can do that, guess what? This is what you need to do for one another. This is what leadership looks like in God's family, Jesus said. 
By the way, when I was ordained, when I became a pastor, um, one of my best friends in the world, a guy I used to, I, I was a Lutheran school teacher before I went to seminary. And Mike and I taught together for many, many years. And, uh, and, and when I became pastor, he gave me a painting, and it's a painting of this scene of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And it, it's right up in our living room as a reminder to me. And he gave it to me because he said, now that you're a pastor, don't get a big head. Remember what Jesus did. Christian leadership is all about serving. Our world also teaches that leaders need to be self-dependent, that, uh, that they shouldn't rely on anybody else, that they should be, uh, they should be um, clear in their convictions, they should know what they want and why they want it, and they should be able to, without relying on anybody else, lead. But Christianity teaches something different, that our leadership is to be God-dependent, that you can't be a leader in the family of God unless you know that on your own you are nothing. That it's only by relying on God that we can ever lead. That's why Jesus, when he called those disciples, when he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, do you remember what he ended with? He ended with these words. He said, and don't worry, I'm going to be with you always. He promised his presence for them because they would need it. You know, we call ourselves Lutherans because there was this guy named Martin Luther who kind of helped start this movement called the Reformation that led to the founding of the Lutheran Church. By the way, Luther hated that they started calling themselves Lutherans. He did not like that at all, okay? Which gets to one of the next points about being a leader. But anyway, he hated that we were called Lutherans, but, but he wrote this thing called the sacristy prayer, and it's a prayer that a lot of pastors know and use. And uh, the sacristy is, in some churches, it's the little room that the pastor waits in before the service, before he comes out to preach and lead the service. And uh, we actually have this prayer on the wall, or we used to anyway, in, at Trinity Kimberly Way. And uh, I remember the first time I was there and I saw it and I read it, I went, ooh, that's good. Because one of the lines in the prayer says this, it's, it's a prayer all about God, I'm going to need your help, I'm about to go out and preach your word, and I need you to be with me. And then Luther writes this, he says, only do not abandon me, because without your help, I would have long since ruined everything. It's so true. If you want to be a leader in God's family, you need to know that you have to rely on God. You must be God-dependent, because if you ever think that you can handle it on your own, you're going to ruin everything. Christian leaders um, are also in contrast to leaders in the world around us when it comes to pride. Because a lot of leaders, quite frankly, are pretty proud people. In fact, it may be one of the reasons that motivated them to want to be in leadership at all. They like being up in front of a room full of people. They like being the center of attention. They like accomplishing something and have people looking at them and going, wow, look what you did. There's a lot of pride in leadership in the world around us. But again, in God's kingdom, we're taught to be something else. Leaders are taught to be humble. In... Uh, in Matthew's gospel, he tells us the same story that we just heard read from Mark's gospel, but he fills in one little detail of what Jesus had to say to his disciples when he gathered them together. When he told them, you know, if you want to lead, you've got to be a servant of all. You've got to see yourself as the least of all. Then Matthew tells us that Jesus then did something. He did a little object lesson. It says he 
called a little child to him, and he put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. What he's talking about there is that little kids just have this childlike faith that can trust in God, and we as adults don't always have that, do we? We, we as adults can let our questions, our, our fears, our concerns, our guilt get in the way, but little kids, they just have this ability to just trust I remember when our son, uh, Christian, was about five years old. My dad died when he was 52, long before my son was ever born. So he's never met my dad before his grandpa. Um, and fortunately, his other grandpa, uh, my wife's dad, was alive for many, many years, and uh, Christian got to know him very well. But, but one day, and again, I think Christian was four or five years old, I said something to him about his grandpa, and he said, which grandpa? I said, which grandpa? You only have one grandpa. He goes, no. I have Grandpa Worst here on earth and Grandpa Schultz in heaven. It was kind of like, duh, Dad, you're the pastor. You're supposed to know this stuff. <laughs> Just that childlike, I'm like, you're right, son. You do have two grandpas. Well, I met your grandpa here on earth, you know. Kids just have this little childlike faith, and, 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 and Jesus points to that childlike faith, and then look at what he says. He says, so anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Kids also get the fact that they're kids, that they can't do things without help, that they need others. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying if you want to lead in God's kingdom, pride doesn't work. You've got to be humble. Now, leaders in the world around us are motivated primarily by success, aren't they? I mean, the whole point of being a leader is to succeed yourself or to help the organization you lead succeed. I remember I read a secular leadership book once, and there was a question in there that kind of haunted me for a long time. And it's still a question I think about, because it's, it's a good question. It was, if the organization you lead succeeded beyond your wildest dreams, and you got none of the credit for it, would you be okay with that? It's a good question. In other words, it, it, you know, Sunday, people looked at Trinity, and they went, wow, man, that's a great church. Four locations, you know, all these people that are acting like Jesus. And then they went, how did that happen with Mark Schultz as the senior pastor, right? That's kind of the point. And, and this guy was saying, you've got to be okay with that, which I think is back to the, to the humility thing a little bit or the God dependency thing. But, but it also goes down to this idea, but is success really the things that should motivate us as a leader? And Jesus says no. In fact, the Bible teaches us that the only motivation in God's family, and that includes to lead, the only real motivation is love. I love these verses from Colossians. It has all these different descriptions of how we are to live if we are going to be like Jesus. But then it says this, but above all these things, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Literally, what, what it says is if you are smart, if you are kind, if you are caring, if you are serving, if you are doing all those things, but you don't have love, it's worthless. 1 Corinthians says, you know, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm just a clanging gong or cymbal. But if we have love, that's what binds it all together. That's what makes leadership work. That is the motivation for a Christian leader. Finally, one last one. In the world around us, people get chosen to be a leader either by themselves 
They say, I think I should be a leader, and I'm going to run for office, and I'm going get to get names on a bunch of petitions and see if I can win. Or they go to their boss and say, I think it's time for a promotion for me. I think it's time I had a chance to lead, right? Often, though, in the world around us, people choose their leaders, don't they? Um, we used to do this little exercise when we'd get a group of people together. You maybe had small groups of six or seven people to discuss. You'd say, okay, on the count of three, everybody in your group point to the person who should be the leader. And most of the time, you know what happens? Almost everybody points at the same person, right? Because they, they see something in that person to be a leader. Well, interestingly enough, in God's family, it happens a little differently than that. Because in God's family, you don't become a leader because you want to. You become a leader because God calls you. Now, most of the time, that call comes through other people. You don't get the voice from heaven going, Hey, Angus, I want you to lead worship this weekend, right? <laughs> no, you get a text from Pastor Mike saying, Hey, Angus, we really need your help. But that doesn't mean it still isn't a call from God, right? God speaks through his people. We say that all the time. When I first became a pastor, it happened because I had a lot of people in the church I was serving as a teacher come to me and say, you know, you've taught Bible class and stuff. We think you should think about going to seminary. And eventually I started saying, okay, is that just people or is that God trying to tell me something? You don't become a leader in God's church because you want to be. Or quite frankly, because you don't want to be. God calls you, and he uses people to do that. I love this verse in, in John 15. He, he says this, Jesus is talking. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. said that to all 12 of the apostles. I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go out and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. If you're a leader in God's church, it's because God chose you. So how are we to respond to leaders in God's family? It's the last thing I want to talk to you about today. How, how do we, all of us, as members of God's family, how do we respond to leaders? Because honestly, not all of us are called to lead. So how do we respond to leaders in God's family? And I just have a few things, real practical things for you this morning. First of all, let your leaders lead. Hebrews 13 says this, it says, Be responsive to your spiritual leaders. Listen to their counsel. They are alert to the condition of your lives and work under the strict supervision of God. One translation translates that end as they are accountable to God for your souls. Did you ever think about that? That God's given you guys here at South Naperville a leader. He's sitting right over there. And uh, God has equipped him and given him uh, some wisdom and gifts. And I know him, by the way. I know that he is dependent upon God. Uh, and I know that this is not a pride thing for him. And I, and I know that that whole list of things we went through, God's at work in his life. So God says, listen to him. Listen to him because, quite frankly, he feels accountable for each and every one of you. Let your leaders lead Here's the next one, pray for them. By the way, Mike isn't the only leader here in this room, is he? There are small group leaders in this room. There are people that lead through serving. Pray for those leaders that God gives you. I love these words from Paul. He was writing to the church at Rome, and, uh, and he says this, I have one request, dear friends. 
Is he going to ask for money? Is he going to ask uh, that they send him help? No. Look at what he says. I have one request for you. Pray for me. And then, just to make sure they get it, he says, pray strenuously with and for me. Folks, those that God appoints to lead need your prayers. Pray for them. Here's the third thing I'd say. Assume the best about your leaders. Folks, there are a lot of Christian leaders that, quite frankly, have made a mess of things in the world around us, aren't there? And almost daily, it seems like, in the news, we're bombarded with messages about Christian leaders. I mean, you hear about a scandal in the Catholic Church. Those of you that have been in the Chicago area for a while know that Willow Creek is this huge church. And then this year, Bill Hybels, who was the senior pastor there for many years, was found to have done some things he should not have done. The the fact is, there's a lot of Christian leaders that mess up, and there's the tendency to look at all Christian leaders a little sideways and wonder. But Luther, in his explanation to the Eighth Commandment, that one about uh, not bearing false witness about our neighbors, says there's a positive side to that too, and that's that with all of us, we should put the best construction on one another's behavior. We should assume the best about one another. By the way, that's kind of, that, that mindset is kind of built into our country, this idea of being innocent until proven guilty, right? That we should assume the best about people. And I think that's especially true about leaders in the church. Should encourage and support your leaders. I love that story in the Old Testament. I'll just give you the short version of it because I'm running out of time this morning. But, uh, but here's, here's Moses, and he's leading God's people in this attack against this, this army that's, that's trying to destroy them all. And, and we're told that, that as Moses stood up on the side of the hill, whenever his, he held his arms up, whether that inspired the leaders or whether, or whether there was something miraculous going on, we're not told. But whenever his arms were held high, the, their forces were winning the battle. But, but if his arms would start to droop, they would start to lose. And so he tried to hold them up again, but he was getting tired. So do you remember what happens? We're told Aaron and her bring a stone for him to sit down on, and then they stand on either side of him and they hold his arms up so that they can win the battle. It's, like, it's a cool story. Folks, leaders need your help. They can't do it on their own. So encourage and support your leaders. And then finally, be ready when they call you. Because here's kind of my last question for you today. Is God calling you to lead? I mean, every single one of you. I mean, you guys in the back over there, you here too. Because God calls a lot of young people to lead in his word. Is God calling you to be a leader? Here at Trinity, we talk about getting in a small group, but then we talk about the most important leadership role we have in our church. Let me say that one more time. The most important leadership role we have in our church is being a small group leader. Because when you're a small group leader, what you're saying is, I'm willing to take spiritual responsibility for a group of people and help them grow to be more like Jesus. What's more important than that? Nothing. Not only small group leaders, then those leaders need leaders. And that's why we have things like site pastors and, and coaches that help those leaders. So the question is, first of all, 
can you pray for, can you support and encourage those leaders to be the kind of leaders that we talked about earlier in this message, that, that leaders that are humble, that are centered on God, that respond to his call, that trust in him to sustain and lead them. And then finally, is God calling you to be one of those kind of leaders? We heard just earlier in the service about serving opportunities, right? Chances to step up and lead and be a part of the work that God is doing. Following Jesus is really important. And it's what we're talking about in this series, this idea of following. But the reality is, we need to think both ways on this. Not only are we to follow Jesus, but we need to look back and see who's following us. Because we all lead somebody. And are we leading the way Jesus leads? With humility, with respect, with dependence upon God, and most importantly of all, with love at the center of everything we do. I pray that that's always true, and I thank you guys for letting me be here with you again. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, um, you call people to lead. And, uh, and Lord, our tendency when we think about leadership is to think the way the world thinks. But Lord, you've shown us this morning through your word that, that leading in your family is all about serving. It's all about humility. It's all about putting the needs of others first. It's all about depending on you. And at the center of it all is love. Lord, help us love one another. Help us motivated by your love, love that sent you to the cross for us. Be strong as we seek to respond to your love and your grace in our lives. And Lord, help us when you call us to lead well, to pray for those that lead, to be people that follow you and help others do the same. In your name we pray. Amen.